Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, it's really great that you have joined us. Student debt and college affordability are twin menaces in the United States. They both threaten the promise of upward mobility through hard work. But how do you tackle them? Is it a matter of being able to refinance loans to make them more affordable? Is it about punishing colleges, well, state colleges at least, through funding reductions when they raise tuition year after year? Or how about this? Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's running for president, has a plan that would cancel $50,000 in student debt for every person with a household income under $100,000. And she says it would provide substantial debt cancellation for people with a household income between $100,000 and $250,000. Is that the right approach? We want to spend the hour today talking about how to deal with the $1.5 trillion that Americans owe for their educations. We're going to start with Adam Harris. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic who wrote recently about Elizabeth Warren's plan. Adam Harris, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, talk about the nature of our student debt and college affordability problems here in America. We hear a lot about that in the headlines. How bad is it? So it's an issue that is unevenly distributed. I mean, yes, um, kind of broadly speaking, um, there is a massive student loan burden um, across the spectrum. Um, but you know, most of the people who end up defaulting on the on their loans um, tend to owe you know fewer than ten thousand um, dollars. But but broadly speaking, I mean, this is an issue that that. As colleges continue, as as the cost of college continues to rise, and as people are trying to look for more ways to to pay for it, I mean, they often turn to either uh, federal loans or private loans. Um, so, so as this continues to be an issue, we've seen. Um, I, I believe the Fed just put out a report that said uh, there's been a two percent decline in starter home buying um, as a result of the student loan bubble. So, so. Um, you are starting. You're seeing kind of the the practical effects of of this student loan burden right now. And and there isn't any practical end in sight. I feel like to this problem. When you look at what's happening with college tuition costs, uh, they they just keep rising and they rise faster than the rate of inflation. They rise faster than the rate of almost anything else I can think of in the economy. And that's front loading more of, I guess, what we're seeing now with uh, with adults. Yeah. So one of the issues that, that a lot of kind of how colleges are funded right now um, that, that they run into is a lot of institutions are tuition dependent. So, um, you know, the more students they get, the more money that they, or the more they can do. Um, so essentially what we're running into is colleges having to raise tuition in order to um, – kind of fund some of those things that they have going on on campus. Um, there are a couple of models. Um, you, you've seen places like Paul Quinn College down in Dallas, Texas, um, shift to a work college model where, you know, essentially every student on campus works and it helps them pay for their tuition. And it also helps the college um, maintain their bottom line. Um, but, you know, we're we're in this moment where everyone's kind of trying to throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks in, toward, um, in terms of kind of addressing this issue. So let's start by talking a little about what Senator Warren says she wants to do. $50,000 forgiveness for people whose household incomes are under $100,000, a substantial debt cancellation, she says, for people who earn between one hundred. dollars and two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. Where where does she get this idea, and how is it being received? 
So the idea of debt cancellation has been kind of bouncing around a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, and her plan, of course, um, so for every $3 um, you earn over $100,000, um, the debt that you would get um, canceled declines by a dollar. So essentially, you know, if you make $130,000 a year, um, then you would get $40,000 in, in debt relief. Um, and the plan has been pretty well received broadly. Um, the idea of, of having it, um, this kind of large scale debt cancellation has been received pretty well broadly. I think a lot of policy analysts are a little um, apprehensive. They think that it's a good start. Um, however, uh, there there are kind of some of the fine details that, that need to be ironed out. But I guess that is one of the hazards of putting out um, policy recommendations this early in a campaign process is, is to say that, you know, here's here's my plan. Now poke holes in it. Um, so so that's kind of what's happening now is people are saying that, oh, well, maybe um, maybe we should be accounting for wealth as opposed to simply income um, to kind of eliminate some of that disparity in the racial wealth gap and things like that. Um, so, you know, the fact that she has put out a plan um, is significant in itself. So, so where would the money for this come from? And would that be its own drag on the economy to kind of fund this this sort of bailout of of people who are under more debt than uh, than they may be able to to manage. Yeah, so um one of the reasons why Elizabeth Warren is able to put out so many policies is because um she has a kind of built-in pay for um which is her ultra millionaire tax she calls it and it's basically an annual 2% tax on families with more than or with 50 million dollars or more in wealth. Um and a lot of people, I mean a lot of critics I should say um, are, are a little bit apprehensive of that tax. They're, they're unsure of how to account for things like assets and antiques and um, and also kind of uh, sh- implementing such a program would, would um, have difficulties in and of itself, kind of making sure that the IRS is, is taxing it appropriately. Mm. Um, so there there are some um, some apprehensions about the tax, but but essentially the way she plans to pay for it is through the the tax on on ultra millionaires. Mm. My guest is Adam Harris. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic who covers education. We're talking about student le- student loans and student debt and the idea of student debt forgiveness. Elizabeth Warren says she has a plan that would provide substantial relief to people who are under more student debt than they can manage. Uh, we want to hear from you, though. Do you live with student debt? And if so, what does that mean for your life? What does that mean for your financial life? What do you think of Senator Warren's plan to wipe out a significant amount of that debt? Do you think it goes far enough? Uh, Do you think the way to pay for it by this tax on the extremely wealthy here in the United States is the right way to do it? Uh, Also, how do you think this vote, this issue might affect your vote in 2020 and beyond? Is this one of the issues that you're really paying attention to as we get geared up for the 2020 presidential election. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Mark in Chelsea. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey. A couple of points. Uh, Fifteen years ago, I remember very distinctly reading an article in the Ann Arbor News to the fact that the University of Michigan had $3.5 billion in assets. The point I want to make about that is, contrary to what I think most people believe, is that a lot of these universities are for-profit, 
and they make huge amounts of money and then invest it. So why not take some of that money and bring down the cost of tuition? And I think students are paying for the, the universities investing their assets more and more. Hmm. The other point is that uh, 24 years ago, I attended a postgraduate school, um, and a number of years later I had uh, a child that was born who's had uh, severe medical conditions all this time. It has. I've been the primary caregiver. I've not been able to pay on my student loan as much as I've wanted to. Mm-hmm. The ability for me to work has been dramatically reduced because of having to take care of my child. Mm. Um, I constantly have to get um, income-based, uh, I forget, I don't know if they're waivers or whatever, but I've just not been able to to pay back, and I you know I don't feel happy about that. I think Warren's uh, uh, idea is kind of ludicrous in that when you take on uh, as an adult, as you're growing up as an adult, one of the responsibilities is to make good on you know certain loans, and if you're able to work and pay, you should have to do that because it brings it makes you more of an adult it it gives you the responsibilities as an adult that we've all grown up with yeah thank Uh, you uh, mark i really appreciate the call and the the array of comments there Uh, one correction though mark uh, the university of michigan is a non-profit even though it has become very good at uh, getting people to give it money to build that endowment um, uh, Adam Harris, let's start there with this idea of the colleges that have such significant resources uh, at their at their uh, beck and call. Really, uh, why isn't the solution to ask them to do more of of this, either through uh, through tuition help or or other means? So particularly for low-income students, a lot of those universities, um, kind of thinking of the ones with the, the very large endowments, um, for, for low-income students, oftentimes those um, universities are um, relatively inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so In fact, the I, University of Michigan uh, boasts that, uh, that students below a certain income level essentially don't pay uh, anything that they're they're packaged out as they as they say as in in terms of what their tuition is so, exactly. so they are doing that exactly um, so essentially what you're kind of looking at is this broader higher education infrastructure um, that includes public regional institutions which kind of over the last couple of decades have been um, they've had their budgets kind of severely cut when adjusted for inflation um, by by state legislature. So so there, there's there been a decline in investment in higher education and public investment in higher education as more students have been enrolling in higher education, which kind of creates a problem um, in terms of, of, one, how those institutions are being financed. It's gone from being a, a, a state subsidy to kind of a, <clears throat> sorry, a tuition, um, tuition dependent and tuition driven. And as they've moved into being more tuition dependent, they've of course, had to raise that tuition, which, of course, it draws more scrutiny from the state legislature, um, which ultimately ends up, you know, taking more money from it for being from the universities. Um, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, Mark, I really appreciate uh, the, the, the call and the, and the comments. Let's go to Whitney in Rochester. Whitney, what's on your mind? Um, well, what's on my mind this morning is that the student loans is just such a heavy burden, and um, I guess my personal experience with student loans, I'm sorry, my car is a little bit loud, I'm driving right now. It's okay. But my experience with uh, student loans is that I went to school for about six years. I went to Oakland University um, here in Michigan, 
and I didn't graduate because I had unforeseen health um, issues come up. And it's just I've had the financial burden or debt burden of a four-year degree without actually having that piece of paper to help me move forward um, economically in my own personal life. So, Hmm. Yeah, Whitney, I really appreciate you calling and and injecting that dynamic into this into this conversation. Uh, Adam Harris, give us a, a sense of how much of this problem is made up of people who have debt from uh, from college tuition that they paid, but they didn't finish, and so they don't even have the benefit of that degree, that diploma that might push them into middle class jobs. Yeah, and that is that is probably the most significant issue in terms of student debt is that um, you know you have a lot of people who have not completed their college degree, um, who have taken out a lot of loans who are not benefiting from it, um, and they ultimately end up defaulting on those loans. Um, one thing I of course should mention, I think as Mark mentioned earlier, um, there are ways to lessen that debt burden if you get um, an income based repayment plan. Uh, which is basically, you know, you only pay as much as you can afford. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you make $30,000 a year, then you're going to be paying X amount on your student loans, even down to not having to pay um, roughly anything on your student loans. Um, but one of the issues with that is that you have to recertify it every year. So you go through the Department of Education's FSA, Federal Student Aid website, and um, you you essentially um, fill out some forms. Um, you recertify what your income is each year and um after a span of years, um, that debt is ultimately forgiven. So um, there are ways um, towards debt forgiveness, um, and there are ways that the government is trying to um, kind of lessen that burden, but um, they're extensive and they require a lot of paperwork, and a lot of people don't have the time uh, to do it, quite frankly. Um, So, you know, one of the things that the legislature um, or Congress, I should say, um, has a reauthorization of the federal law that governs higher education um, coming up. And uh, they're uh, essentially this is one of the things that they're looking at is how to to better help people who are most likely to default on their loans. Uh, Whitney, I appreciate the call uh, and the comments there. Let's go to Kit in Farmington Hills. Kit, welcome to Detroit today. Can you hear me? Yeah, I sure can. Go ahead. So what exactly changed between the time that I went to school, I graduated uh, from law school in 2000, what's changed where when I graduated, I had substantial debt from uh, going to undergraduate and graduate school, and I budgeted, I paid my debt, I, I, uh, I, I struggled, I, I had a small family and a small home, and, and we sacrificed so that we could we could make good on our loans. What's changed now that the government is is deciding to, rather than allow people to meet their obligations and to satisfy their, their debt and to persevere through that experience, what's changed now that uh, now they're, they're saying that they're just going to cancel the debt and allow people to attend at the expense of hmm. taxpayers for however long they they went to school, yeah, and uh, and not have to pay the money back. I don't understand what changed. Kit, that's a fair question. I really appreciate you asking it. Uh, Adam Harris, is there something that has changed since people like Kit were in college about the expense? Uh, and, and speak more to this uh, idea of again, it's kind of a bailout idea of of people who 
made decisions about taking loans to go to college and now say they can't afford them. Someone like Kit sacrifices and uh, figures out how to do that. Is that fair? Well, yeah. So, um, you know, since 2000, you've had places where the tuition fees at, at public universities have risen by, you know, 350 percent or 200 um, percent. So where you might have been paying about three thousand dollars at the University of Arizona um, in 2000, um, you know, you're paying ten thousand dollars a year now. Um, so kind of thinking about the one, the sheer rise in um, in those college costs, the shifts in the market um, on loans, um, on student loans, because um, one of the things that, that should be understood is that loans were supposed to be a tool um, to pay for college as opposed to the central way that college gets paid for. Now it's um, now it's almost like a, a guarantee that you're going to need to take out some loans to pay for your school um, as instead of if you need and a little bit of extra help, you can take out a loan. Um, so it's kind of been a shift in the thinking, and then it's also been this kind of rapid rise in um, tuition fees um, associated with college. And then, you know, you also think about your room and board and, and these living expenses and how um, those have changed over the last um, the last two decades, roughly two decades. Um, and it kind of creates this picture that, that um, is unsustainable. You know, a lot of people talk about student loan debt as, as kind of a bubble. Um, this is kind of like the next bubble to burst um, because it's it's an unsustainable system. And um, they're, they're lawmakers are, are kind of trying to work to figure out how to fix that um, system that is kind of fundamentally unsustainable. Mm. Uh, what about the fairness question that Kit raises, this idea that he sacrificed and made choices that – uh, that led him to pay off his loans. He's maybe not enthusiastic about the idea of uh, helping to pay for other people's. Yeah, um, and this is a question that you know we've asked. Um, I've asked several people who who um, have proposed debt cancellation policies or a lot of think tanks, and, and essentially the argument is that um, kind of for equity's sake. Um, that's kind of the reason why they're they're doing the debt cancellation. But I, I mean, a, a lot of people have kind of voiced that idea that um, you know, why should other people be able to benefit from a thing um, from this debt cancellation when I've kind of worked hard and, and tried to um, and tried to fix and, and, and tried to fix everything uh, or, or tried to make make things better for myself. But um, kind of broadly, the, the the response that you get from from advocates of debt cancellation policies is that um, it's equi- it's an equity thing. Um, and, and not everybody, you think about the people who got debt, um, had health issues, were not able to finish college, um, but but now they're just saddled with this student debt um, from from a structure that that we have kind of created as, as a society. Um, then that as an equity issue, that's something that that the government should address. Mm. Uh, Again, Kit, I really appreciate your perspective and you sharing it with us here on the show. Let's go to uh, Jeremy in West Bloomfield. Jeremy, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, Hi, everyone. Hey. A couple of points I wanted to make. One was I I graduated from Michigan State in 1981. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was fairly reasonable to expect that you would be able to work a series of jobs uh, as a student and gain money, you know, earn over the summer and generally be able to afford college without a whole lot of training. So it's, it's, it's just wanted to make that point. But my, my, the real point I wanted to make was I, I think it's very important that we support our social services and um, social network uh, by 
encouraging people to go into the uh, helping professions, whether that's nursing, teaching, law enforcement, uh, mental health work, because uh, those typically are not the, the highest paid uh, professions, but they're certainly something that we tend to need and to a great degree. And uh, I think that uh, encouraging that would be uh, hmm. fairly substantially, there would be a fair amount of benefit. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, those are people that need to uh, be part of the economy, and they have uh, certainly a low-wage uh, profession. Yeah, I, uh, uh, Jeremy, I really appreciate uh, the call and and the comments there. Uh, Adam Harris, talk about whether uh, these other kinds of ways of of helping people pay for college are are in play as well. Uh, we have Senator Warren talking about forgiveness, is there maybe a possibility for a service component that would help people pay back their loans? Yeah, and and a couple of candidates have proposed um, kind of a a national service um, style um, plan where where you you would go and and do some sort of national service for a year um, or two years, and then um, that would help you afford college. And um, I want to say in 2008, Hillary Clinton proposed something similar. Um, where you would go work for a year, you would get ten thousand dollars that could go towards towards college, um, and, and so that is an idea that is also bounced around. Um, one of the criticisms uh, that I actually was just reading a letter to the editor um, of the New York Times uh, this weekend. Uh, one of the criticisms, and, and this has been kind of a long-standing criticism, um, is that you know by by doing a, a policy such as you know free college for all or debt-free college, I should say. Um, which is kind of a little bit different than than genuinely free college, um, is that um, it may more people may kind of be going into college than than going into say the military or going into um, kind of some of these other jobs. Um, so that's that's just kind of one criticism. But um, quite broadly, a lot of candidates um, kind of would be in support or have been in support of, of kind of a national service component um, to helping pay for college. Mm-hmm. Okay, Adam Harris, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks very much for being with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, up next, we're going to hear from the director of the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom about why he thinks Senator Warren is wrong. He thinks debt forgiveness is the wrong way to address this issue. So stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Also, tune in tomorrow. It's election day for a number of local communities. And the first election that Jocelyn Benson will oversee as Michigan Secretary of State. She's going to join me to talk about her approach to making sure elections go smoothly. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad that you have joined us. We are talking this hour about student loans, the crushing the crushing presence of student loans in our society. $1.5 trillion that Americans owe for their educations. That debt is keeping people from the upward mobility that we associate 
with college degrees. It is keeping people from doing things like buying houses, the thing that we need people to do, really, uh, to keep wealth growing and uh, people moving forward. Uh, we, we heard from Adam Harris, a staff writer at The Atlantic, in the first part of the show about Elizabeth Warren's proposal to institute some sort of debt forgiveness for people who owe for their college educations. Now we're going to talk with Neil McCluskey. He's the director of the Center for Educational Freedom at the Cato Institute. He thinks Senator Warren's proposal is misguided. Neil McCluskey, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's start with uh, why you believe Senator Warren has it wrong. Well, I mean, I think there are numerous things that are, are problematic with her proposal. The first thing I'd say, though, is that I think it's a matter of fundamental fairness that we should not be putting the debt that someone else freely took on and say, well, this actually now belongs to someone else. And that is fundamentally what this proposal would do. It would say, look, you took on student debt for anybody but the 5% of richest households with student debt. We're going to give you some debt forgiveness. But someone else has to pay that because we have to remember these are predominantly federal loans and that the federal government has already budgeted that money, which means someone's got to make up for the lack of income if they just forgive those loans. And so she said, well, we'll have the richest people pay that. There is a problem already in that she has the richest people paying for a whole lot of other things she's proposed. But more fundamentally, as a moral issue, there is no reason just because you're rich you should suddenly be responsible for the debt that someone else took on. And remember, they took that debt on so that they could make a lot more money and be more prosperous in their lifetime. So it's basically a private benefit. Now we've socialized, we've cast off the the price of that to other people. So, So that's an interesting argument, and it makes a lot of sense from a logical standpoint. But I wonder if you would have applied that same logic, for instance, to banks uh, who just a few years ago needed the federal government to, to, to raise an awful lot of money to bail them out of poor decisions they had made in the real estate market for many years. They made those decisions of their free will. They made those decisions to make money for themselves, which many of them did. And the American public ultimately had to bail them out. Isn't that just part of democracy in this country? Isn't that just the way we deal with uh, things when they grow, when, when people's uh, decisions grow to uh, a scale that they are dragging down the economy more generally. We try to figure out ways to help them out of those circumstances in order to get the economy going again. What's the, what's the difference here? Yeah, bailing out the banks was a terrible idea. Um, now, I do education policy, so it's a professional matter. I wasn't weighing in on those bank um, bailouts. Uh, other people at the Cato Institute, where I work, were, and we were, were saying they were against, against it. Yeah. And there's a, there are very important reasons for that. And the, the primary one is once you start doing that, you encourage people to take more and more and more and more bad debt with the expectation that if things go wrong, again, we're going to pass the costs off to other people. 
And doing that sort of thing, having this federal government largely sitting there and people are prepared to say, you know, if something goes bad and, and you're big enough or you're a big enough group, we'll have someone else pay for it, that encourages terrible behavior. And when we look at the higher education system, the primary problem is the price is so high. And the fact of the matter is the price is so high in large part because for decades the federal government has said we'll make sure people can pay whatever price is charged. And the unintended massive consequence of that is schools raise their prices because they can, and students often demand very expensive things, including these on-campus water parks, which are not the drivers of cost, but are sort of the tip of the iceberg of saying, you know what, people are demanding real extravagances in college, why can they do that? They can do it because they're paying with other people's money. And mm. so that's been the root problem in higher education for decades. So, so, But there are so many people whose stories don't really fit that pattern, I think. Uh, when you think of people who, are, who, who see college as a pathway to a, a better economic station, which we have framed life in this country around uh, that idea – uh, a lot of them go to college because there there isn't another choice about uh, getting to uh, that that economic station. They take out the loans because that's the only way to pay for it. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, you know, other other circumstances interfere. We just heard from a caller earlier who had health problems uh, in college and wasn't able to finish. Yet she still has all kinds of loans. We have heard of people who um, who have circumstances once they become adults, uh, real financial burdens that crop up that, that are not their fault, uh, that prevent them from being able to pay their student loans. I mean, isn't there some uh, sensibility we ought to have about helping people out of those situations that uh, that are not their fault, as you say, not just... Uh, reckless or or unwise but are about the unfortunate circumstances of other things that go on in our in our country well i think the first thing we need to do when we look at policy is first of all not base policy on on anecdotes and and anecdotes that are not representative of most people we have to say well what is the policy that's going to produce the most good including considering all the unintended consequences. And the reason often that people feel they now have to get a degree is because increasingly employers demand a degree because for so long we had been subsidizing college, saying you need to go to college, and the degree has now become something that if you don't have it, it's like a mark against you as opposed to it's something that kind of elevates you. And so more and more we've seen employers call for degrees and jobs where the requirements to actually do the job haven't changed. The things you have to know or be able to do, they haven't changed. But employers can say, well, now we're going to require a degree because they're kind of ubiquitous. We don't have them. There's something wrong. The reason ubiquitous is we have incentivized with federal money, including loans and grants and tax credits, for you to go to college. And then the reason that so many people have to take on debt to go into college is because the, the loans are built into the price. They're baked right in. All of this stems from trying to do good things, saying, well, it shouldn't be price, shouldn't be a barrier to anybody going to college. 
but we don't think about the unintended consequences, and that's what we have to do. And then for people who who have uh, they've taken on debt and they have real hardships, you know, that they've had an illness, a serious illness, or something like that, it actually is still possible to discharge loans in bankruptcy. In some cases, it's sure. difficult, and it should be difficult, but it can be done. And I think we do want to move to a system where we have the government out of lending. We have private lending, but that private lending, it's easier to discharge a loan in bankruptcy because then the lender has a serious um, incentive to make sure that they are lending wisely, and we're not locking people into student loans as something different from other loans. Hmm. Uh, we're talking about student loans and student loan forgiveness here on Detroit Today. My guest is Neil McCluskey. He's director of the Center for Educational Freedom at the Cato Institute. Uh, he is someone who is pretty skeptical about Senator Elizabeth Warren's plan to institute a pretty broad plan of debt forgiveness. She's one of the candidates on the Democratic side for the presidential contest that's coming up next year. We want to hear from you, though. What do you think of the idea of forgiving student loans? Are you somebody who has a lot of student loans and is not able to pay them down, not able to maintain the debt service? on those loans. Uh, what do you think of this idea of debt forgiveness? Uh, or are you somebody who's pretty skeptical as well about the idea of getting people out of situations that they maybe willingly got into on their own? As always, the number on the phone is, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Richard in Harper Woods. Richard, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. Uh, you're going to have to forgive me here for a moment because it's got me so angry that I, I've got to talk a little slower so that I'll start screaming here. <laughs> uh, let's start quickly with 1975 when I started school, and I could work at the grocery store, a union job, and quite frankly, I could work two months full-time with some overtime, pay for my entire college. Uh, essentially, costs haven't changed since then. Wages have, of course. Wages have stopped since 1975. But that's not just the only thing here. This gentleman here's disingenuousness is, is, is mind-boggling. Uh, to suggest that if you forgive an immoral debt, and yes, I'm saying it's an immoral debt, that these people will then become profligates is 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 without foundation. You have no substance and uh, evidence to, to to even make that statement whatsoever. Except, of course, for your libertarian. Oh, if you do this, because I would do that type of uh, ideas. But regardless, these loans are predatory. You are you. The reason they exist is so that few people can make tremendous profit. Hmm. And just like I told you, young lady, you want evidence of that? I can give you 1.5 trillion pieces of evidence that this is profiteering. Hmm. Richard, I, Richard, I, I, I appreciate uh, the things that you're saying there. I, I want to get to Neil McCluskey's uh, response uh, to them. But, but, uh, but before we do that, Neil, I, the, the idea of these being predatory, I mean, y you said pretty emphatically that you feel like these are things that people do uh, on their own, of their own free will. Uh, but again, they don't have as much choice in this matter as you might as you might want, given the the, the necessity of 
college uh, degrees, as you point out, in the employment market. Uh, at the same time, um, this idea that forgiving the loans would lead to more bad behavior, um, I, I would also love to know what basis you have for making that, that accusation. Well, I mean, I think uh, I'm not trying to target this at Michigan, but you can look at the auto industry, which has been bailed out on multiple occasions to say, look, uh, we think that we can start to make decisions that may not be the uh, the most efficient or may be risky because we have a reasonable expectation that government is going to come and bail us out. So I, I don't think this is without historical precedent. And I think now that banks can look at this and say, look, when we run into trouble, somebody says we're too big to fail and they will bail us out because it's happened. Um, and so I don't think it's being disingenuous to say that this is a real concern. I mean, economists call it moral hazard. It's not like this is a new idea that there's danger when we say, well, we're going to sort of rescue somebody from the decisions they made. That said, I'm totally sympathetic to people who say, look, I'm in a bad situation because college, the price is really high, and it seems like I have to take on debt. But the reality is that's because of many decades, and there's uh, just a huge amount of research that backs this, plus basic logic of the price includes the aid. And so we've sort of forced people to take on these debts. But that said, there isn't actually evidence they're predatory, although you need to define predatory. Most of these loans are federal loans that actually carry artificially low interest rates, uh, very generous terms, as the federal government and supporters will tell you, much more generous than you'd probably get from a private lender, certainly right now, who's got to compete against free. Um, and there are lots of already existing loan forgiveness programs that the federal government has, and almost certainly the federal government ends up losing money on these, although there are lots of accounting debates. But the risk involved with sort of artificially giving out low-interest loans with generous terms to people who often don't have a lot of evidence they're going to succeed in college, it, it's almost certain that the taxpayers already losing money on these loans. So I think it's very difficult to substantiate calling them predatory. Mm. Uh, again, I really appreciate uh, the call and the comments there. Let's go quickly to Scott uh, in Waterford. Skip, Scott, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, I have a quick question for the guest. Mm -hmm. um, I get the sense that you've been talking about sort of uh, market distortions that are, that are at play here, and I'm curious what your guest thinks about um, how, how do I put this, how maybe access to education is being distorted by the high cost, basically how people of lower means are forced to take on debt that other people may not have to. Mm -hmm. And if there are market distortions going on there that need to be taken care of from, from his point of view, that would, that would maybe reduce the cost or take care of that issue. Because I get the sense that that's a big reason why people feel like it's important, why we sure. need to be able to pay these things down. Like there's, a, there's an inherent inequality or structural you know, class-based inequality going on. Sure. I hope that makes sense. No, no, it does, Scott. I, <laughs> I appreciate the call. Uh, Neil McCluskey, uh, address the inequality that drives people to have to take on loans for something that is, you know, a gateway to the middle class for so many families. Yeah, I mean, I think actually this gets to a really important point that we don't talk about enough, which is that when you look at loan defaults, student loan defaults, it's not these 
high dollar values that we see often in the media. You know, somebody who has 50,000 or $100,000 of debt. Often those are people who are going to grad school who who are even more increasing their income over a lifetime. It's actually the people with the lowest levels of debt. So you're thinking maybe $7,000 who have entered college but then are not able to complete it for many reasons. But a lot of the reasons are they are not uh, they're not often prepared for college-level work, or they don't have a schedule that makes it uh, easy to do, but we have lots of remediation. And I think often those are the people who are in the worst situation because there is and has been for many decades this, this cultural and governmental push that say everybody needs to go to college. But there are lots of jobs and lots of requirements that don't really require a four-year degree with a liberal arts core, where if you could get specific skills quickly with some sort of certification you have it, that's what you would need. But we've made the sort of the four-year college the norm that we expect everyone to go to. So what we want to do is, for one thing, eliminate student aid that isn't at all focused at low-income people. The tax credits, uh, the 529 savings plans, those, the, the parent plus loans, those are disproportionately for upper income people. And we want to generally move the whole education system away from this infatuation with the four-year degree to saying we want you to get the skills and abilities you need to do jobs that are in demand. And often that means getting uh, specific skills and abilities, being able to retool when those are no longer in demand, and be able to do that quickly. And that means getting away from this massive higher ed system we have now to a system where money follows people to quick education and quick sort of badges that they've learned Mm. what they need to know. Okay, Neil McCluskey, director of the Center for Educational Freedom at the Cato Institute. It was really great to have this conversation with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Up next, we're going to talk about some local programs that offer student debt forgiveness with Detroit Regional Chamber President and CEO Sandy Barua. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're talking this hour about student debt, student debt forgiveness, and the idea of how to solve this crisis, one5 trillion dollars that Americans owe for their educations. We talked about Senator Elizabeth Warren's program that would provide pretty substantial debt relief for Americans who owe that kind of money. Now we want to sort of turn more locally. Sandy Brewer is the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, and he joins us now to talk about a new program that uh, the Chamber is involved in. Sandy, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So uh, talk about what this program is and how it is coming about. So uh, we've been working with uh, a handful of regional educational institutions, Henry Ford Community College, Oakland University, and Wayne State University, uh, to launch a program that would forgive uh, a certain level of debt that their students have that would enable them to go back 
to school to finish their either two-year associate's degree, certificate degree, or even their four-year university degree. And this is part of a program that we're running uh, with a lot of foundation help called Detroit Drives Degrees. And our goal is to get our regional educational attainment to 60% by 2030. And when you look at what our region's educational attainment is compared to best-in-class regions across the country, uh, we're lagging uh, pretty substantially. We're a little over 40% of our adults have either a highly trained certificate, like a nursing certificate, a two-year associate's degree, or a four-year university degree or above. Uh, Best-in-class regions are well into the 50s, mid-50s or higher. Uh, and if we want to be the you know, leader of next-generation mobility, if we want to fill all these jobs that are being created in downtown Detroit and across Michigan, uh, our people need to have the skills to take those jobs. So, so what do you say to the idea that uh, these debts are, are incurred by people who entered them with their free will and knew what they were getting into. Uh, We were just talking with Neil McCluskey of the Cato Institute. He has real objections to this idea of, I guess, fueling the the, the problem by saying, well, if you get yourself into trouble, we'll help get you out. How do you answer that? Well, I I didn't catch all of your previous guests' uh, comments, but I think what he was referring to were, were kind of federally mandated for debt forgiveness programs where the federal government would step in. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about individual decisions by individual uh, institutions to say, we have students that dropped out because of uh, some situation that caused them to leave our institution with some level of debt. We would like to invite those students to come back and essentially work off their debt mm-hmm. by finishing their degree. And the you know the more they you know as long as they stay current on their current bills, uh, you know we'll forgive their pre-existing debt as long as they're working towards that degree and make progress towards that degree or certificate. That's really not much different than a company who uh, may you know. Ha- had a had a customer that you know uh, left them hanging, uh, and they wrote off that debt at some point. That customer comes back a few years later, and the company says, "Listen, we've already written off your bad debt. As long as you stay current, you can be a customer of ours again." That's to me, it's a it's a it's a regular business practice. Hmm. Uh, so, how important was the cooperation? between these three schools uh, to getting this program together. A huge, and I, I really want to congratulate uh, Henry Ford Community College, Wayne State University, and Oakland University uh, for, you know, one, not only just engaging in this, but the leadership that they have demonstrated, particularly through their their, their leaders, uh, and uh, because they have agreed not only to do this for their own students, they have agreed to some principles that they share amongst the three of them, such as uh, if one of their students is is coming back and they've got some uh, transcripts at another university, you know, they'll share the transcripts even if they have some pre-existing debt at that uh, that other university. Uh, They've agreed to kind of a standard set of financial packages. So, you know, for community colleges, it's basically half of their existing debt, whatever that debt is. Uh, For universities, it's up to $1,500. And they've all three of them agreed that they're going to accept an unlimited number of students uh, in this debt forgiveness program. Hmm. Uh, How will this be funded? 
It's it's through the institutions it's through themselves. Through the institutions. It's the, it, 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 exactly. So the, we're not talking about, you know, some sort of subsidy that's coming from some sort of government agency. And I understand that, you know, your previous caller was concerned about kind of slippery slope arguments, you know, with the federal government getting involved. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that. This is something completely, uh, completely different. Uh, this seems like it's something that would fit with uh, Governor Whitmer's goal of increasing those college attainment rates by, or two sixty percent by 2030. I mean, uh, this idea that we've got to grow the number of college graduates in the state is something we've talked about for a really long time here in Michigan, and we've been a little behind, I think, in those goals. Yeah, Stephen, I think you're exactly right. So first of all, uh, Governor Whitmer's goal, we're very excited about her goal because her goal is mirroring our goal, which is 60 percent by by 2030. So we're very much on the same page uh, with, 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 with the governor on that. Uh, again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Lori in Detroit. Lori, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, I thought it was really interesting that your guest compared this to the auto bailouts in Detroit. Our previous guest that, did, yes. Um, yes, that, mm-hmm. that both uh, are ways to uh, keep the middle class and uh, thriving and allow them to grow uh, the auto bailouts were paid back with interest, and it saved Southeast Michigan. Um, I went to school on Pell Grants, and the amount of taxes I have paid um, over the course of my lifetime as a result uh, have more than, than paid for that investment. I hmm. think it's you're looking at this as either an expense or an investment. Yeah. And Laurie, when you look at it as an investment, it's quite different. Laurie, that's a really great point. Uh, Sandy, that's one of the things we really struggle with, I think, especially here in Southeast Michigan, is understanding that some things are worth investing in, even though they cost money and they may cost money that uh, that it's hard to raise or sustain. The payback on the other end is bigger. Uh, and and higher ed is one of those things that I think there's no question or there shouldn't be much question about it, but uh, – but we have a hard time getting there. Yeah, and you know, I I, I think the, the most recent caller is right. I think you're right. And actually, the one uh, area that I certainly do agree with your uh, disagree with your previous guest on is that this notion that uh, the skill requirements haven't changed. Uh, that's something I heard in my car driving over here, mm-hmm. and and I just think that is uh, completely divorced from from reality. When you look at what companies today need and are looking for in terms of talent, uh, it is is a much higher level of skill. And I'll just give you a quick historical analogy. When we moved from the agrarian society to the mechanical society, it was about the time when our society said, you know, a junior high education is no longer enough. We're going to mandate that everyone really go to high school. And that's when high school became kind of a standard requirement. We're now kind of in that other transition, right, where high school is really no longer enough, that you need to have at least a two-year or some sort of uh, uh, certificate or professional skill that you get after high school. And this notion that I think I understood your previous guest to say that the skills haven't changed that much. It's just companies saying, oh, you know, these degrees are so commonplace, we're just going to require them because we Mm -hmm. can, uh, I I think is just really divorced from reality. Okay, Sandy Barua, President and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for the opportunity, Stephen. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Remember to come back tomorrow when we are going to talk with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about her first election. Lots of local 
uh, voters are going to the polls tomorrow. That will be the first election that she oversees. Uh, this is 101.9 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.